This is Unfiltered, episode 345 for January 20th, 2021. From high alert for a lot of things, uh, but if you look at Washington tonight, you actually see it. 25,000 National Guard, as you described, the perimeter around the Capitol, uh, between the Capitol and the White House and the Mall, uh, getting bigger and bigger, really, uh, by the hour. Different roads closed. Uh, I walked from the from the White House over to the Capitol. It took about 40 minutes. That's a, a walk that should take about 25 minutes normally. Uh, so it, it is very hard to move around. Everywhere you turn, there's Secret Service, there's National Guard, there's Washington Capitol Police, there's Washington Metro Police, uh, there's police and guard everywhere. It is fully armed. It's fully locked down. Uh, it, it is quite a dramatic sight. The bottom line, though, Shep, is that it does seem to be under control. Hello, friend, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. This is another live edition of the show. It's Joe Biden's big day. It's his inauguration. He gave a speech yesterday where he broke into tears, but today it's the day. It's really where everyone's watching. And uh, we have a stream that's already been going for a little bit. We watched everybody show up and listen to the news media fawn about the outfits that the Democrats were wearing and talk about the insurrectionists. But uh, I had a couple of things I wanted to play for you before we get started. I do have uh, the streams up. Right now I'm watching former presidents shake hands with uh, various politicians. But I'm going to cut into the live stream when things start to get serious. So while that's developing right now, I thought maybe we'd play a couple of clips to set the stage. And you saw it there in the intro clip. Security is crazy at the Capitol. 25,000 troops on standby, which I believe means we have more troops on standby for Washington, D.C. than Canada has troops. So that's interesting. And some of those troops, they may be Trump supporters. Hello, everyone. I'm Tanya Rivero. Thank you for joining us on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We are just two days out from Inauguration Day, and Washington, D.C. is on a very high security alert. Capitol Hill feels eerily similar to a military zone. In an unprecedented move, the FBI says it is vetting all 25,000 National Guard troops now stationed in Washington. There is concern about a potential inside attack. On what? 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 now stationed in Washington, there is concern about a potential inside attack on the inauguration. What is this? Okay, so this started spreading around and there was a lot of ideas of maybe what to worry about, what could be the problem. Maybe there is a, a militia group inside the National Guard, but a Democrat representative suggested that perhaps the problem is just, just, just pro-Trump people in the National Guard. That's new. Okay, so here's the Texas governor. Abbott. Um, this is the most offensive thing I've heard. No one should ever question the loyalty or professionalism of the Texas National Guard. I authorize more than a thousand to go to D.C. I'll never do it again if they're disrespected like this. What he's talking about is Steve Cohen, a Democrat from Tennessee, who said this on CNN. Watch. The Guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Uh, only about 20% of white males voted for Biden. So you see, the problem is, and he's just saying the quiet part out loud right now, is that they're white males and some large portion of white males like Trump. That's the concern. That's the issue. And he's just saying it. Imagine if he was saying this about black people or women. 
or any minority group. Imagine for a moment. But but this this is totally fine to say over his crappy Skype connection. The guard is 90 some odd percent, I believe, male. Uh, only about 20 percent of white males voted for Biden. You got to figure that in the guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media, and we know it. I mean, guys, he sees it on Twitter. I figure that in the guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media, and we know it. They're probably not more than 25 percent of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75 percent are in the class that would be uh, the the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. Might want to do something because they're white. And uh, they like Trump. I mean, that is so insulting to service members. That's so insulting. Uh, I mean, think about that. Think about people who dedicate their lives to the service and then to have some crappy, crappy representative who can't even get a decent Wi-Fi connection in his crappy office comes up there and disparages you like that simply because you're white. But it does. It, it, it is something that is a standard procedure. Vetting the National Guard before inauguration is standard. The, the, having the natural the Natch Guard. There, that's also standard. Having this many, not standard. The mob is long gone from the Capitol. The FBI is making arrest after arrest. But tonight there are new warnings that the threat from extremists is far from over. CBS's Jeff Begays is covering the unprecedented security for this inauguration. Good evening, Jeff. Laura, tonight, authorities are concerned about the threat from drones used by extremist groups. And here on the ground... Jeff Begay's always sounds like he's got a poop. Have you noticed that about Jeff Begay's? And also, I'd like you to pay attention to the typical format of this. And it's really designed to, to drive a message home. They tell you something, and then they tell you it again, and then they're going to tell it to you again. And typically, on a non-live show, what I do is I clip right to the package. <laughs> but I'll, tell you, I'll show you what I'm talking about. So first we start with Nora. There are new warnings that the threat from extremists is far from over. And then she tosses to Poop and Jeff Begay's. Just like this one all across the city as the National Guard itself comes under scrutiny because of two of its members' possible ties to extremists. And then he, ta- he tosses to the package that he produced earlier, the, earlier in the workday back at the office. The two removed guard members raises concern over possible insider threats. And then the way this will end is it'll come back to Jeff Begay's after the package. He'll toss it back to Nora and Nora will wrap it up. And that's the format they do every single time. They tell you what they're going to tell you. They tell it to you. They present it to you with visuals. And then they tell you what they told you and they wrap it up. And that is about programming you. And they tell you the same thing in every part. So typically in the show, if I'm going to play a clip, I cut right to the package because that's generally the most produced part. So you see you have the intro with Nora where she tells it to you. You got Jeff pooping, and then you got Jeff's big package that he's been working on all day right here. To remove guard members raises concern over possible insider threats. The Pentagon confirms that one of the possible extremist links came from a tip call. The other reported by soldiers in the unit. Out of an abundance of caution, we automatically pull those personnel off the line and make sure that they're not part of the mission set. Ten other members were removed for non-national security background flags by the FBI, which is vetting all 25,000 National Guard troops assigned to D.C. They have been deputized and are now armed, guarding entrances and manning checkpoints throughout the city. 
CBS News has learned an FBI warning about extremists connected to the conspiracy theorist group QAnon have talked about posing as National Guard members to get closer to the event. Soak that one in there for a second. This is, this is as big as it's going to, I mean, this is, you can't get any bigger. What I mean by this is, silly internet conspiracies have now made it as like the number one boogeyman in the nation right now. This, this is during inauguration. They are citing the need for this many troops because of conspiracy theorists. Think about that for a moment. Yes, news has learned an FBI warning about extremists connected to the conspiracy theorist group QAnon. Really? Really? What? It, this? I, I'm not buying this. I'm not buying this. I agree that there are people who have been misled, and I, I, there could be even tens of thousands of them. But in the in the grand scheme of things, they are no match for the for the U.S. government. Uh, and the idea that QAnon is this huge, all-influencing presence is laughable. I mean, you're, you're on the Internet. You have a better grasp on their influence than these media personalities who don't understand technology. You know you have a better grasp of its influence than they do. So this doesn't pass the sniff test. I think there's something else going on here, not just because of the specialized kinds of troops that have been deployed, that have been specifically trained for like civilian combat and mountain combat, but also just this in, this incredible pivot to focus on conspiracy theorists as if they are the cause of all of our woes. When in the, we both know the real truth is it's a it's a bankrupt in trust for all of our institutions, be it the government, be it the legal system, be it the healthcare system, be it the media. The general public has completely lost all trust and faith in those institutions. The fact that some conspiracies can influence people is because they, what they say, has become more believable than what the official narrative is. And until that fundamental problem is fixed, we are going to have this giant disconnect. And they're talking right past the problem. They're talking right past it. Something else is going on here. And I was listening to that new Megyn Kelly podcast, and the co-founder of The Federalist had a couple of musings on this that I thought I'd play to you because I think he put words to something that's been in the back of my mind. What's the reason behind what we're seeing? And to me, it's a question of, are these institutions doing this because they're brittle or because they're strong? And when I look at Washington, D.C., you know, with 25,000 plus troops in it, National Guard troops, and the kind of reaction we've seen there, you know, barriers thrown up willy-nilly, I think that the answer to this is, is kind of both, that the political scene with these octogenarian leaders like like Biden and Pelosi and uh, and all of these teams that have, are full of people who've been around for so long, they're white knuckling it. They seem brittle. They seem frail. And and on the flip side, I think that these big tech corporate oligarchs they're doing what they're doing because they feel completely empowered by this. That the weakness of our political scene has made them feel like 
you know, they've inherited the, the Godhead and that it's their job mm -hmm. to try to make this world, make this country look the way they believe it ought to be. And that's very concerning to me, uh, given that that's not historically been the model for, for success in America. Yeah, I, I think you put it really well. The, the tech CEOs are seeing a power vacuum. <clears throat> and I remember hearing stories about the Trump administration not doing something because it might upset Tim Cook. And I thought, what the hell does that matter? But, it, I, I, you know, the institutions of this country that have any trust are brands. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> Commercial brands have more trust and respect than the federal government. And we all have those brands that we like. Hmm. That's a that's a creepy thought. Crystal Ball, who is on the Hill, which, by the way, they have to work entirely remotely right now because the security is so serious in D.C. They and the crew cannot get to their studio to shoot their show. So they're remote. So the audio is a little a little harsh. Uh but there was an interesting survey that I think speaks to this broader problem that we're, that we're not talking about in the media. When they blame QAnon and Trump, they're not really talking to the issue that that caused those symptoms, right? Because we know that Trump and people's belief in conspiracies are actually the symptom of a much deeper societal problem. So some really interesting new poll numbers that, frankly, pretty troubling, <laughs> jumped down at me over the weekend. Let's go ahead and throw this up on the screen. So um, this was from CBS and YouGov. They asked, what is the biggest threat to America's way of life? And overwhelmingly, 54%, a majority of Americans said that other people in America are the biggest threat to their way of life. Um, economic forces is next that they listed out like sort of like big business and, and trade interests, financial interests. Um, next up, natural disasters and viruses. Finally, foreign threats. So even in the midst of a pandemic, when thousands of people are literally being killed every day, overwhelmingly, people see their neighbors their uncle, their friend, their cousin, the people they went to high school with, that's who they see as their biggest threat. And I think I was trying to touch on this earlier in the year when we were talking about um, people that were reporting that there was this uh, there was this haircutter guy that, that uh, basically just had this full time business of cutting people's hair and he didn't shut down. And uh, they set up this this. Uh, website here in Washington where citizens could report other citizens to get them shut down. And then that database leaked. So at first you had citizens that were going after businesses for remaining open during coronavirus. And then you had people who were upset that citizens did that going after the people that did the reporting because the database leaked. And it just, it just reminded me of of like the worst possible tendencies of people getting exposed and just reminding me how dangerous that can be. And I really thought this exposed a, a much bigger problem in that we have isolated ourselves a lot more. Uh, we don't really have community bubbles uh, in the South. It's a little different. And I, I, I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't traveled a bunch, but here in the Seattle area, 
you kind of are in your own bubble even when you're out and about. Like you look down, you don't really acknowledge people, you don't really make eye contact much. Even when you're waiting in line at Starbucks for your crappy coffee, you don't really talk to each other. You're on your phone, you know, you got your headphones in. It's it's very much um, like it's people that are what to me feels like are constantly experiencing some kind of crisis that just don't want to upset each other. And so they're just completely shutting down. And then when you go down to places that are in the south, it's much more common to like make eye contact and acknowledge each other and, you know, say, say, you know, have a great day or the waitress might call you sweetie. And if you've never traveled in between the two areas, you probably have never noticed this because you just life is what what it seems like around you. I have noticed this difference and that that kind of nicety that is kind of just going away where we kind of acknowledge each other, I think leads to a type of isolation that's a, that's akin to road rage. When you're in your car, you know, the person in the person in the car in front of you that's going slow or doing whatever, not using their blinker or whatever, they're an idiot. They're a moron. They are they are a danger to society on the road, right? You can it's so easy to objectify them and abstract them. And I think when we isolate and we talk to people online, we do that same thing. We kind of abstract and isolate. And I've known, I've noticed something that happens a lot to me personally, and that is I get these ranty emails about what a horrible uh, Democrat supporter I am or Republican supporter I am. And it's really, it's it's always funny when I got one email that yells at me for being a crazy liberal and another email that yells at me for being a Trump supporter. They're like right next to each other. And I'll respond back to them and they realize that I, when they get my when they when they get an email back from me and this is this happens 90% of the time it's why i respond back and this is something i've noticed for almost 15 years they always apologize and tell me oh i was having a bad day and i kind of forgot there's a person on the other end of that keyboard and then they kind of tell me about the shit thing that happened to them that earlier that day and it's like they forgot that there was another human being there like they are aware that they're hearing me. You're aware I'm a human, but yet we still slowly over time abstract people away. And I think it makes, I think it makes for an environment where we don't trust each other. And the isolation for the coronavirus, I don't think has helped this at all. I don't think it's helped at all. So let's check in on the, on, oh, Klobuchar. All right. So the inauguration is going and Klobuchar is up and she is She's smiling. She's talking. Let's switch over to ABC. Steps and before this glorious field of flags, we rededicate ourselves to its cause. Thank you. It is now my honor to introduce to you the senator who has worked with me and so many others to make this ceremony possible, my friend and the chair of the inaugural committee, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. down the podium. That's what you're hearing. Well, I should have known when Senator Klobuchar got involved, at least there'd be a touch of snow up here this morning. (laughs) Of all the things we'd considered, I don't think snow was on my agenda until I walked out the door a moment ago. But thank you, Senator Klobuchar, and thanks to the other members of the Joint Congressional Committee on the inauguration as we officially begin the 59th inaugural ceremony. I also want to thank the Joint Committee staff and our partners, particularly our security partners, 
for the, they, the way they've dealt with unprecedented circumstances. When I chaired the inauguration four years ago, I shared President Reagan's 1981 description of this event as commonplace and miraculous. Commonplace because we've done it every four years since 1789. Miraculous because we've done it every four years since 1789. Americans have celebrated this moment during war, during depression, and now during pandemic. Once again, all three branches of our government come together as the Constitution envisions. Once again, we renew our commitment to our determined democracy, forging a more perfect union. That theme for this inauguration, our determined democracy, forging a more perfect union, was announced by the Joint Committee before the election with the belief that the United States can only fulfill its promise and set an example for others if we are always working to be better than we have been. The Constitution established that determined democracy with its first three words, declaring the people as the source of the government. The Articles of Confederation hadn't done that. The Magna Carta hadn't done that. Only the Constitution says the government exists because the people are the source of the reason it exists. They immediately followed those first three words with the words to form a more perfect union. The founders did not say to form a perfect union. They did not claim that in our new country nothing would need to be improved. Fortunately, they understood that always working to be better would be the hallmark of a great democracy. They keep showing a close-up of Biden. He already seems kind of emotional. He seems like he's breathing quite heavy. The nation we have today is not here just because it happened, uh, and they aren't complete. A great democracy working through the successes and failures of our history, striving to be better than it had been. And we are more than we have been, and we are less than we hope to be. The assault on our capital at this very place just two weeks ago reminds us that a government designed to balance and check itself is both fragile and resilient. During the last year, the pandemic challenged our free and open society and called for extraordinary determination and sacrifice and still challenges us today. Meeting that challenge head-on have been and are healthcare workers, scientists, first responders, essential frontline workers, and so many others we depend on in so many ways. Today we come to this moment, people all over the world as we're here are watching and will watch what we do here. Our government comes together. The Congress and the courts join the transition of executive responsibility. One political party more pleased today and on every inaugural day than the other. But this is not a moment of division, it's a moment of unification. A new administration begins and brings with it a new beginning. And with that, our great national debate goes forward and a determined democracy will continue to be essential in pursuit of a more perfect union and a better future for all Americans. What a privilege for me to join you today. Thank you.
I'm pleased to call to the podium a longtime friend of the president-elect and his family, Father Leo O'Donovan, to lead us in an invocation. Please stand if you are able and remain standing for the national anthem and the pledge to our flag. Gracious and merciful God, at this sacred time we come before you in need, indeed on our knees. But we come still more with hope and with our eyes raised anew to the vision of a more perfect union in our land, a union of all our citizens to promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. We are a people of many races, creeds, and colors, national backgrounds, cultures, and styles, now far more numerous and on land much vaster than when Archbishop John Carroll wrote his prayer for the inauguration of George Washington 232 years ago. Archbishop Carroll prayed that you, O creator of all, would assist with your Holy Spirit of counsel and fortitude the President of these United States, that his administration may be conducted in righteousness and be eminently useful to your people. Today we confess our past failures to live according to our vision of equality, inclusion, and freedom for all. Yet we resolutely commit still more now to renewing the vision, to caring for one another in word and deed, especially the least fortunate among us, and so becoming a light for the world. There is a power in each and every one of us that lives by turning to every other one of us, a thrust of the spirit to cherish and care and stand by others and above all those most in need. It is called love, and its path is to give ever more of itself. Today it is called American patriotism, born not of power and privilege, but of care for the common good, with malice toward none and with charity for all. For our new president, we beg of you the wisdom Solomon sought when he knelt before you and prayed for an understanding heart so that I can govern your people and know the difference between right and wrong. We trust in the counsel of the letter of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Pope Francis has reminded us how important it is to dream together. By ourselves, he wrote, we risk seeing mirages, things that are not there. 
Dreams, on the other hand, are built together. Be with us, holy mystery of love, as we dream together. Help us under our new president to reconcile the people of our land, restore our dream and invest it with peace and justice and the joy that is the overflow of love. To the glory of your name forever, amen. I need to do a prayer for those mouth noises. I apologize. Oh my gosh. Imagine what it's like in my studio headphones. <laughs> oh, he's saying a little something to Joe. Uh, they're getting real close because of Corona. The mask, though, keeps it safe. And they're wiping it down. So you can get right in people's face. It's fine. Father, I've been a longtime friend of the Biden family. They were saying shh, shh, shh. In there, did you hear that? Georgetown, as we heard. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the presentation of our national colors by the Armed Forces Color Guard, the singing of our national anthem, and for the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, that was definitely not six feet apart. All right. If you're watching on Twitch and you want to join our chat, you can go to unfiltered.show slash discord and get a link to our discord chat room. The chat you'll see on the screen from time to time and the one I am in is the Right Now chat room. So we'd love to have you join us in the Right Now chat room on filter.show slash discord. Sorry we're not watching the Twitch chat, um, but we have this going set up with notifications and all that good stuff, and it persists also for breaking news events. So if something's happening and you want to chat with somebody about it or figure out what's going on, the Right Now room is always there for breaking events and live streams. Ladies and gentlemen, here for the singing of our national anthem, accompanied by the President's own United States Marine Band, please welcome Lady Gaga. Hello, everybody. You gotta be shitting me. Hey, I think you can hear Obama in the background. I don't think he agrees with this. Is this a joke? What a this just really shows you what a show all this is. This is so weird. Well, you knew you knew that was coming. You knew Lady Gaga had to have some kind of an amazing outfit. Feels, I don't know, but this feels cheap and now for some reason. Fancy headphones. She has custom. Wow. If you get a chance. This is America in a nutshell, right here. If you get a chance, you got to check out her custom earpieces. Those uh, 
They're ornaments that turn into earrings that act as antennas. Remember how Hollywood loves the Democrats? I, I forgot that that Hollywood did this kind of stuff with the Obamas. And now of course they're doing it with the Bidens. the most exuberant star-spangled banner you may have ever heard lady gaga right there she said something to pence i don't know what it was obviously but she turned to pence and said something to lady gaga. now it is time for the pledge of allegiance that will be led by Andrea Hall. She's a firefighter from Fulton County, Georgia. Fulton County, Georgia. Please welcome from the city of South Fulton, Georgia, Fire and Rescue Department, president of the International Association of Firefighters, Local 3920, Fire Captain Andrea M. Hall, for the reciting of the Pledge of Allegiance. First African woman in that department's history to be named Captain. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. For union, the first to endorse Joe Biden, and of course, Georgia. She's got to do a fist bump. One of his biggest wins. She's got a Biden fist bump. Wiping down the podium and Klobuchar is walking back up. What you are all about to be part of America. Remember, she ran against Joe. Historic moment of first. To administer the oath to our first African-American, our first Asian-American, and our first woman vice president, Kamala Harris, it is my great privilege to welcome to the inaugural stage the first Latina to ever serve on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Well, you know, we should have had a diversity bingo board. Please remain standing for the oath of office, followed by musical honors. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. Kamala Davy Harris, I solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. That I will well and faithfully discharge. That I will well and faithfully discharge. The duties of the office on which I am about to enter. The duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. So help me God. So help me God. You just heard it. You just saw it. History was made. Kamala Harris taking the oath. First African American, first Asian American, first woman Vice President of the United States behind her. First African American President, Vice President Pence. Lindsay Davis. Now she had her hand on two Bibles, one that belonged to Regina Shelton, a former neighbor and family friend who she's often described as like a second mother. It's also the same Bible that she used during her swearing in as attorney general and also as senator. And now we are going to hear, after Hail Columbia, Jennifer Lopez is going to be singing as well. Please welcome Jennifer Lopez to perform This Land is Your Land and America the Beautiful, accompanied by members of the President's own United States Marine Band. What is going on? I preferred it when the, I preferred it when the Hollywood types just preferred to distance themselves from the President. I don't really like this at all. Are, you, are we really putting these people at the same level as the President? Statements today. I don't know how I missed this. I have not been following the inauguration news because I just, you know, was going to watch it anyways. If that's not resplendent, I don't know what is. Huh? <laughs> no, we're, just, we're just proud of how well you've grown up. <laughs> Ten years ago, you went to take a notice. Words I never thought I'd Okay, here we go. Yeah, I gotta admit, this is not why I thought I would miss a Trump event. This land is your land. This land is my land. Man, it sucks you had to follow Gaga. From California to the New York Islands, from the Why? But I, I don't. This is really striking me as a weird tradition that we do. Um, any other nation do this, where they have their celebrities come up and do this? Is that a thing? Yeah, this sound. It just this is this is not resonating at all. I mean, the Gaga stuff in retrospect now seems way more on point. Um, it's just not. Oof. If, and if they're gonna do it this way, they should have had uh, J Lo come out first. Next out, Christina Aguilera. America, 
thought we were doing like a more limited event. Wasn't that where those flags are? Isn't that where people were going to be because because of the pandemic we couldn't we couldn't have a full event? But now we're we're having. This seems like J Lo flying around to do this and Gaga and their entire crew and posse's and whatever support staff they have seems like unnecessary super spreading to me. I don't know. I thought I thought that the Biden administration was going to take a more sensible approach to this stuff, but this just seems opulent. Something like we would criticize Trump for, for bringing all these people together and bringing celebrities to do this. So this isn't a party. This is just a party for the elites. This is for all the people of power to get together, have celebrities come entertain them, and none of the riffraff, none of the dirty, sick, pandemic-spreading citizens have to be there. God with liberty and justice for all. Jennifer Lopez. Approaching now the moment. For President Elect Biden well, that to was take great. the The sun is George, shining. George is getting really Mr. excited. Mr. President elect, this is the first inauguration in the history of America where J-Lo was the warm-up act for Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, with that, it is now my distinct honor to introduce the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, John Roberts, to administer the presidential oath to the next president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden. Yeah, I agree with the Discord. This is basically feels like an award show, doesn't it? You get the award of power. You get the award of winning. You won the political race. This is your award for winning the political race. Look at that big old book. Big old constitution book. Or a Bible? I guess it's a Bible, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Bible. That's a classic Bible. Somebody just brought the baby there. The baby's going to be on mic. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States office of President of the United States and will to the best of my ability will to the best of my ability preserve, protect, and defend preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States the Constitution of the United States so help you God so help me God congratulations Mr. Thank President you. I think he practiced that, and rightfully so. Chief played for Joe Biden. Joseph Robinette Biden will be the 46th president of the United States. He was congratulated as Mr. President. He will officially become president in about nine minutes, nine and a half minutes at noon, as he's giving the address. Oh, he had a tear there. Saw Dr. Jill Biden overcome with emotion in that moment. Who wouldn't be? 
getting real close to Amy there. Remember how her husband had Corona? Lifetime for Joe Biden. George, this was the <laughs> ultimate long game. He was elected to the Senate at 29, the youngest, while now being sworn in as the oldest president. He has waited and he has dreamed of this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, please so be many seated. Years. He has told me the president's job is to heal, that the country needs healing. And he told me the words of a president matter. really got that Clint Eastwood scowl down, Biden, doesn't he? Amy's so happy. There's Bill in the background. Joe Biden there, First Lady of the United States. Not yet, George. Oh, yeah, she's the new First Lady, though. Weird. The bells at Howard University will now ring 49 times before the inaugural address. This is a weird moment in the process. Better turn on that outside mic so we get them bells. Joe gets a quick nap in. we have all been waiting for. It is now my great privilege and high honor to be the first person to officially introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, Jr. Amy always looks and sounds like she's just having a great time. it down every time somebody goes up. Write it down. Chief Justice Roberts, Vice President Harris, Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, Vice President Pence, and my uh, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew, and America has risen to the challenge. Today, we celebrate the triumph, not of a candidate, but of a cause, the cause of democracy. The people, the will of the people has been heard, and the will of the people has been heeded. We've learned again that democracy is precious, democracy is fragile, and at this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed. So now, on this hallowed ground, we're just a few days ago. Violence sought to shake the Capitol's very foundation. We come together as one nation, mm -hmm. under God, yeah. indivisible, of course. to carry out the peaceful transfer of power as we have for more than two centuries. 
As we look ahead in our uniquely American way, restless, bold, optimistic, and set our sights on the nation we know we can be and we must be. I thank my predecessors of both parties for their presence here today. I thank them from the bottom of my heart. And I know and I know the resilience of our Constitution and the strength, the strength of our nation, as does President Carter, who I spoke with last night, who cannot be with us today, but whom we salute for his lifetime in service. I've just taken the sacred oath each of those patriots have taken, the oath first sworn by George Washington. But the American story depends not on any one of us, not on some of us, but on all of us, on we, the people, who seek a more perfect union. This is a great nation. We are good people. And over the centuries, through storm and strife, in peace and in war, we've come so far, but we still have far to go. We'll press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much winter to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Once in a century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice, some 400 years in the making, moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. <laughs> to overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America, requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity, unity. In another January, on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause.
uniting to fight the foes we face, anger, resentment and hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness and hopelessness. With unity, we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward, reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice and we can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial and victory is never assured. Through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. No progress, only exhausting outrage. No nation, only a state of chaos. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge and unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. If we do that, I guarantee you we will not fail. We have never, ever, ever, ever failed in America. When we've acted together. And so today, at this time, in this place, let's start afresh, all of us. Let's begin to listen to one another again. Hear one another, see one another, show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. My fellow Americans, we have to be different than this. America has to be better than this. And I believe America is so much better than this. Just look around. Here we stand in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, as was mentioned earlier, completed amid the Civil War, when the Union itself was literally hanging in the balance. Yet we endured. We prevailed. Here we stand. 
looking out on the great mall where Dr. King spoke of his dream. Here we stand, we're 108 years ago at another inaugural. Thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, we mark the swearing in of the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Here we stand across the Potomac from Arlington Cemetery, where heroes who gave the last full measure of devotion rest in eternal peace. And here we stand just days after a riotous mob thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people, to stop the work of our democracy, to drive us from this sacred ground. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Not ever. It's funny because they thought their will wasn't being heard, and that's why they were protesting. Both sides say the same thing. All those who supported our campaign, I'm humbled by the faith you've placed in us. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. And if you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans. All Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. Many centuries ago, St. Augustine, a saint of my church, wrote that a people was a multitude defined by the common objects of their love. Defined by the common objects of their love. What are the common objects we as Americans love that define us as Americans? I think we know. Opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, the truth. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders. Leaders who have pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation. To defend the truth and defeat the lies. Look. I understand that many of my fellow Americans view the future with fear and trepidation. I understand they worry about their jobs. I understand, like my dad, they lay a bed. Wondering, uh, ABC feed there. Can I keep my health care? Can I pay my mortgage? Thinking about their families, about what comes next. I promise you, I get it. But the answer is not to turn inward, to retreat into competing factions, distrusting those who don't look like, look like you, 
oh, or worship right. the way you do, okay. or don't get their news from the same sources you do. Oh, yeah, sure. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts, if we show a little tolerance and humility, and if we're willing to stand in the other person's shoes, as my mom would say, just for a moment, stand in their shoes. Because here's the thing about life. There's no accounting for what fate will deal you. Some days, when you need a hand, there are other days when we're called to lend a hand. That's how it has to be. That's what we do for one another. And if we are this way, our country will be stronger, more prosperous, more ready for the future. And we can still disagree. My fellow Americans, in the work ahead of us, we're going to need each other. We need all our strength to, to persevere through this dark winter. We're entering what may be the toughest and deadliest period of the virus. We must set aside politics and finally face this pandemic as one nation. One nation. And I promise you this, as the Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. We will get through this together, together. Look, folks. All my colleagues I serve with in the House and the Senate up here, we all understand the world is watching, watching all of us today. So here's my message to those beyond our borders. America has been tested and we've come out stronger for it. We will repair our alliances and engage with the world once again. Not to meet yesterday's challenges, but today's and tomorrow's challenges. And we'll lead, not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. We'll be a strong and trusted partner for peace, progress, and security. Look, you all know we've been through so much in this nation. And in my first act as president, I'd like to ask you to join me in a moment of silent prayer. Remember all those who we lost in this past year to the pandemic, those 400,000 fellow Americans, moms, dads, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. We'll honor them by becoming the people and the nation we know we can and should be. So I ask you, Let's say a silent prayer for those who've lost their lives and those left behind and for our country. Amen. Folks, this is a time of testing. We face an attack on our democracy and on truth, a raging virus, growing inequity, the sting of systemic racism, 
a climate in crisis, America's role in the world. Any one of these would be enough to challenge us in profound ways. But the fact is, we face them all at once, presenting this nation with the, one of the gravest responsibilities we've had. Now we're going to be tested. Are we going to step up, all of us? It's time for boldness, for there's so much to do. And this is certain. I promise you, we will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. We will rise to the occasion is the question. Will we master this rare and difficult hour? Will we meet our obligations and pass along a new and better world to our children? I believe we must. I'm sure you do as well. I believe we will. And when we do, we'll write the next great chapter in the history of the United States of America, the American story. A story that might sound something like a song that means a lot to me. It's called American Anthem. There's one verse that stands out, at least for me, and it goes like this. The work and prayers of century have brought us to this day. What shall be our legacy? What will our children say? Let me know in my heart when my days are through. America, America, I gave my best to you. Let's add, let's us add our own work and prayers to the unfolding story of our great nation. If we do this, then when our days are through, our children and our children's children will save us. They gave their best. They did their duty. They healed a broken land. My fellow Americans, I close the day where I began with the sacred oath. Before God and all of you, I give you my word. I will always level with you. I will defend the Constitution. I'll defend our democracy. I'll defend America. And I'll give all, all of you, keep everything you, I do in your service, thinking not of power, but of possibilities, not of personal interest, but the public good. And together, we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness, a story of decency and dignity, love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us, the story that inspires us, and the story that tells ages yet to come that we answered the call of history. We met the moment. Democracy and hope, truth and justice did not die on our watch but thrive. That America secured liberty at home and stood once again as a beacon to the world. That is what we owe our forebears, one another and generation to follow. So, with purpose and resolve, we turn to those tasks of our time, sustained by faith, driven by conviction, and devoted to one another and the country we love with all our hearts. May God bless America, and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America. Oh, you're welcome, Tress. Joseph Robinette Biden, now 46th president of the United States. 
powerful, personal, emotional at times, delivered with command. The new president called Americans to empathy and action. He noted those events of two weeks ago, the siege of the Capitol, noted that our democracy is fragile, is precious, but it has prevailed. Ladies and gentlemen, please be seated. As I said, he called Americans to empathy, saying, we can't harden our hearts, we must open our souls, put, each other, put ourselves in each other's Ladies shoes, as his mother taught him. Garth Brooks to perform you gotta Amazing shitting. Grace. No way. Garth Brooks? <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I well, see. So there you have it. I mean, this is essentially the end of it, isn't it? Joe Biden uh, becomes president, and uh, we watch. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the first uh, 100 days or so bring us. I'll obviously be watching here on the Unfilter show. There are, of course, a couple of other items maybe we could tidy up really quick before uh, we go on. Uh, there, there you have it, though. That was the ABC feed there. One of the things that I enjoyed watching that was that you could hear the ABC studio in the background several times as they were talking and trying to figure stuff out. Uh, that was interesting. One of the other things that happened this week that I think is pretty notable is McConnell made his his um, divorce from Trump absolutely 100% public. Majority leader. The last time the Senate convened, we had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people boom boom just decisive it's funny the the, the the way the media is mcconnell blasts trump mcconnell eviscerates you know it's like well yeah i mean he did put him there in the in the crosshairs um but not surprising the mcconnell is uh, not for the outsider shocking there that one so far watching the feeds there is no protest there's absolutely no no issues in the capitol uh funny because i thought we were going to have people storm the capitol and try to assassinate our leaders you know all the riffraff good evening and thank you for joining us on this friday night we are going to begin with some breaking news because federal prosecutors now say that some of those rioters who stormed the u.s capitol last wednesday intended to capture and assassinate government officials including vice president mike pence and tonight we're learning chilling new details about just how close they were to their target. CBS News has confirmed that Secret Service agents whisked Mr. Pence into an office off of the Senate floor. What kind of sense does this make? Why would you kill Pence? 
uh, because if Trump got in trouble for this, which obviously happened, um, he would be impeached and removed from office. Especially, if, I mean, imagine if Pence had been killed, right? There's just absolutely no question about it. And then Nancy Pelosi would have been running things. How, what was that going to win? What, what, what kind of sense does that make? Just one minute before rioters stormed up a nearby stairwell in what some are calling a stunning breach of Secret Service protection. Now, as we come on the air, the nationwide manhunt to arrest and detain some of the most violent rioters is expanding. As concern grows that some of them may now be planning more attacks during next week's inauguration. Yeah, oh yeah, there's a lot of concern about that. 25,000 troops. Uh, but there, did you see the story that came out about the... So first, the laptop... We we found out that Nancy Pelosi's laptop was stolen, but the details were vague. Then it turns out it's a semi-attractive uh, white woman, so we have to demonize her because she. We can't just the public won't care if if it's just uh, you know some some average you know the girl next door that has a laptop. It has to be some kind of demon that has a laptop. So of course, of course, she's a Russian agent, Mr. Winter. I know you've gotten some new reporting that the FBI has charged this this Pennsylvania woman in the Capitol riot. And they're now looking into whether the woman intended to ship a computer from Speaker Pelosi's office to Russia. What, what more can you tell us about that? Oh, no. She's a Russian agent. That's right, Craig. So this is just one of the 80 plus now arrests that have been made in connection with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And th this would not be a, an extraordinary case uh, if it were not what apparently, according to the FBI, a person they describe as a former romantic partner told them. So this person is Riley Williams, an old boyfriend who she dumped. She's from uh, the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. She, he says she might be a Russian agent. This is her driver's license, according to the FBI. They, they put her driver's license, too, all over the national news. I mean, how embarrassing to have your driver's license picture used, right? Like, that's the worst picture ever. Williams, she's from uh, the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. This is her driver's license, according to the FBI driver's license photo. And so basically what they said is that this former romantic partner uh, talked to them, left several messages on their tip line, and essentially said, uh, Craig, that uh, she had told her, Williams had told this, uh, this person, um, that she intended to take this computer or hard drive that was taken from from Speaker Pelosi's office, send it to Russia, and there a friend would pass it along to the SVR, which is kind of the American equivalent of the CIA. So this is the claim that the FBI, this is what they're doing to just an average, everyday person, a, a, a gal who went in and, you know, she did something she shouldn't have done, right? But she's not, I mean, she's not some, some well-known celebrity. She's just an average, everyday person. And they got some bullshit tipster who claims to be an estranged lover, who left voicemail tips on their tip line, who said that she was going to sell this to a Russian. And then they took that, that salacious, anonymous, could have been anybody, and they spread it out to the media and all of their contacts in the media, and it caught on like wildfire. And this went for days. This went for days. Now, now she's just known as a Russian spy because of this anonymous tip on this one line. But, of course... That's no big deal when it's just her. But uh, your good friend and your buddy Hillary Clinton also suggests that perhaps Putin knew the entire time. I would love to see his phone records to see whether he was talking to Putin the day that uh, the insurgents uh, invaded our capital. But we now know that not just him, but his enablers, his accomplices, his cult members have the same disregard for democracy. Wow. Once again, 
the 4D chess plane. True leader of the world, Vladimir Putin pulls the strings, even during the riots at the Capitol. Vladimir Putin reaches in to the heart of our democracy and pulls the strings of our people and our leaders because Putin is real leader. I just, I can't even with that. It's so ridiculous. We clearly just, we got to get a handle on all this misinformation. Obviously what the problem is, is not enough moderation. We need more moderation. And if we could just get a grapple on these crazy ass news sources that are just talking about whatever the hell they want to talk about. Have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. This is CNN and they're talking about deplatforming Newsmax, which is sort of the, the neo Fox News. We're going to have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem, you know, that these companies have freedom of speech. So listen to this for a moment. This, by the way, is an organization which its entire survival predicates on the freedom of speech. The, the press depend on freedom of speech for what they do. And yet here they are on Seltzer Water Show advocating to censor the press. And say it's a little bit too much freedom of speech. Just soak this one in for a minute. I'll let it play. We have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem. You know that these companies have freedom of speech, but I'm not sure we need Verizon, AT&T, Comcast, and such to be bringing them into tens of millions of homes. As we watch what's going on in America right now, um, you know, prior to 1933, the German state was called the Weimar Republic, and it was governed by the Weimar Constitution, which afforded its citizens freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, many of the things we see in our First Amendment here in the United States. When the Nazis seized control of power in 1933, the first thing they did was suspended the Weimar Constitution under the guise of an emergency because their Third Reich headquarters had been burned down. Uh, does that sound familiar? So that's Newsmax's response. Uh, always throwing around the Nazi thing. On both. So on one side, you have Seltzer Water and his crew advocating for censoring news organizations. And on the other side, you have Newsmax shouting Nazi, which is obnoxious. But it's more troubling when a semi-powerful representative in government calls for censure of speech, like AOC did. There's absolutely a commission that's being discussed. Several members of Congress and some of my discussions have brought up uh, media literacy because that is a part of what happened here. We're going to have to figure out how we reign in our media environment so that you can't just spew disinformation and misinformation. Isn't that something? You've got to reign in the media environment. And of course, when there's real news, when there's actual information that should be spread, it gets suppressed. Uh, like we heard rumors that China might have been meddling in the election. We heard rumors of to that, you know, because every nation, any powerful nation likely has interests. Uh, but we often don't get to hear the details. Well, it turns out there was an effort to actually suppress that information. And that's been revealed. In a letter to Congress, the director of national intelligence says that China interfered in the presidential election. And not only that, but the analysts involved in the assessment did not want to be the ones responsible for bringing this information forward. Now, that is the interesting little part. The fact that China interfered, with, tried to interfere with the election, <laughs> yeah, shock. The fact that the CIA knew it and then tried to suppress it and that the analysts didn't want to be the ones to relay the information, that, that's weird. Here's more on that. In his assessment, Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe says that China did interfere in the 2020 federal elections. 
He outlined his conclusions in a signed letter to Congress dated January 7th. And Ratcliffe also alleges that management at the CIA suppressed intelligence about China's election interference. Ratcliffe noted a report by the intelligence community's analytic ombudsman, Barry Zoloff, and said the ombudsman found that CIA management took actions pressuring analysts to withdraw their support for this view on China in an attempt to suppress it. The analytic ombudsman's report assesses that this was a result of the politicization of foreign interference in the election. And this letter has only just come to light. The Washington Examiner published Ratcliffe's letter and the ombudsman's report on January 17th. I guess the implication is maybe they were concerned that the Trump administration or, or maybe some, you know, someone like Adam Schiff, probably not Adam Schiff in this case, would take this information and weaponize it somehow. Uh, so I guess they suppressed it. Um, and now that the election's over, they're okay with it leaking out? That's the best that I can piece together, but it's still not filling in the details. Let's do a quick impeachment update, though. I've just got one clip on impeachment. This covers a lot of it. Tired Harvard Law School professor Alan Dershowitz says this shouldn't be happening. Harvard Law professor emeritus Alan Dershowitz says impeaching President Trump after he's out of office is unconstitutional. If you can impeach anyone who is not a sitting president, there are no limits to the power of the Congress to try ordinary citizens. It is plainly unconstitutional, and the Senate should not proceed with this unconstitutional act. Now, so that is going to be the argument on the Trump side, is that this is a dangerous constitutional precedent if you try to impeach him once he's out of office. Um, We shall see. We shall see, because I think the argument on the other side will be, yes, but he's so dangerous, we must prevent him from ever running again. I suspect that'll be the counter argument. We haven't really seen that narrative populate yet throughout the various mediums. uh, Trump, on his way out the door, did something I think people expected him to do a long time ago. It's really kind of confusing why it took this long. He declassified documents related to the initiation and start of the Russiagate investigation, some of the documents the Senate has. Alert now, Senate Judiciary Committee right now releasing hundreds of newly declassified documents, all related to the origins of the Russia probe. Jillian Turner, calming through those quickly. Have you found much yet? Jillian, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, so far, Bill, the Senate, Foreign, uh, Senate Judiciary Committee just released these documents online. This after they were declassified by the president, then cleared review for review by the attorney general. As you mentioned, Bill, there are hundreds of pages we're still combing through them right now. But what I can tell you is that we are getting a whole lot of holes filled in about the origins of the 2016 investigation into the Trump campaign's alleged ties to the Russian government. Not not much that's really all that mind-blowing. If you've been following it kind of closely already, a lot of it's kind of leaked out in bits. It was really financed initially by the Clinton campaign and by also a group that was anti-Trump early on. All of that that we've thought the Steele dossier was full of crap information, all of that's in there pretty well documented. So, I mean, if you you like to actually read the documents that back up what we've been talking about on the show for a while, um, they're all there. It still still doesn't, you know, it really, I think still doesn't get enough uh, appreciation that it really was started as a political tactic Um, and it was fed by a political campaign. That doesn't get enough information. But, you know, at the end of the day, it kind of seems almost inconsequential. Like Trump was always going to, there was always going to be something because he just wasn't a political native. You know, Biden is a creature of D.C. He's been there for nearly 50 years. Trump was an outsider and he was always going to be an outsider. He's not part of the club. You know, we look at that inauguration. That's the inside club. 
That's the people that get to hang out in the clubhouse. They're the ones that got the party today. And it's really, I, I think it, it's, it, it perfectly kind of just shows where we're at right now in society. There's a leadership establishment class, and then there's the riffraff, and they're sick with corona. They're broke. You know, while they're there in their opulent outfits with their $1,000 masks and their fancy belts, and then the people, the dirty people, you know, they're not in there anymore. They've been locked out. They've literally been locked out. They've been gated out. It's an interesting um, It's an interesting kind of state of America. It's a snapshot. You know, when you look at the beginning, when Trump came in, he was fueled with propaganda from uh, Bannon, and he really came in strong with a America first nationalist kind of message in his inauguration. And then Biden came in with the unity inauguration. And it's if you were to look at just the inaugurational speeches, it's an interesting snapshot of where the nation is at. But for people around Trump, he's really down to his core, core supporters now. Rudy Giuliani came up with a great excuse to get out of representing Trump. So Rudy is out. He's no longer on Team Trump. He turn, turns out he just realized something. President Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, says he won't be part of the president's impeachment defense team. He told ABC News that he's a witness and therefore unable to participate in court nor in the Senate chamber. Yeah, can't. Oh, gosh, you know what? Gosh, sorry, Don, I'd love to help. But it turns out I'm a witness now, so I can't. It's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. So I have a lot more to get to, but I think that's probably enough show. I do want to talk COVID soon, so uh, we'll probably try to get to some of that. I guess I'm the next one. Um, I wanted to play a clip. I, I got a, I got an outro clip for the show today. And so Bill Maher finally got back on there and back in his studio. And I've I've had a I've had an on and off thing. You know, sometimes he's funny, sometimes he seems like an arrogant prick. But recently, I don't know if you've been watching him, but recently he feels like he's one of the few people that's sort of established left that is talking any kind of common sense. Like a a old, sensible version of the left that still has a platform, and because of the particular network he's on, he hasn't been taken out yet. Uh, and I feel like uh, his one of his bits that he did on his most recent return episode, now that he's back in the studio, really speaks to the issue that we have to address if we actually want to unify. If, if Joe Biden wants to deliver on that speech, this issue has to be addressed. And <clears throat> finally, new rule as bad as last week was... Worst school trip ever. Of course, he's talking about the uh, Capitol right, which is, I guess, two weeks, as I, I think now, somewhere in that range. Let's not confuse 5,000 people with 74 million. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, even, <clears throat> even supporting the insurrection in spirit is, well, deplorable. But there's a difference between holding illiberal beliefs and acting violently on them. At least that's what they always told me about Islamic terrorism. I keep wrestling on this show with the hard question of how do Americans, all of us, learn to share a country with assholes you can't stand? I've preached and still do that you can hate Trump, but not all the people who like him. And as counterintuitive as it may seem, you can like something run by assholes without being one yourself. Just ask Chick-fil-A. 
There's been so much liberal happy talk this week, jerking each other off about how, oh, this is the end of the Republicans now. Yeah, just like Watergate was the end of the Republicans and Bush after Katrina was, and now it's Trump. Please, does anyone think that no matter who's running in 2024 on election day, it won't be extremely close? I'll bet anyone out there a quadrillion zillion dollars it will be. Yeah, I think he nailed it right there. I love that bit. You know, I mean, sometimes I agree with him, sometimes I don't. Maybe that means he's doing it right, because that's what people say about this show. Although, I'll give you this. The people in his audience that were clapping, that's just his crew because of Corona. But that show gives you an idea of how big his crew is. This one-man production. Appreciate your support at patreon.com slash unfilter. Now, go to unfilter.show slash subscribe. We're going to see where this Biden administration goes. Will Biden, will Biden make it the full term? Will he be able to deliver on his uni- unity promise? We'll see. Thanks for joining me. I came down here because I remember the first bumper sticker I saw. I learned that uh, I got hairy legs that, 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 that turned blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. And I learned about kids jumping on my lap. I love kids jumping on my lap. Oh, 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 I'm in trouble, trouble. What are we nuts? Dead, dead, dead. You know, come on, man. Give me a little break here. Get a life. Taking cocaine or not? What do you think? Huh? Come on, man. Black, white, all colors, all backgrounds. What I mean? Come on, man. Men, women, gay, straight. Everyone deserves a shot. You know, come on, man. You know the thing. You know what I mean? You know the thing. You know what I mean? Come on, man. You have a problem figuring out what you're from me or Trump, and you ain't black. Come on, man. The corn pop was a bad dude, and he ran a bunch of bad boys. I can hardly wait to meet with that guy who is the stable genius. Come on, man. I am uh, very willing to let the public judge my physical and mental filth. My physical as well as my mental fitness. <laughs> Come on, man. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Wealthy kids. Come on, man. I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. I know a lot of weed smoke. Come on, man. Black, white, all colors, all backgrounds. What I mean? Come on, man. Men, women, gay, straight. Everyone deserves a shot. You know, come on.